Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. This episode, as always, was brought to you by our amazing sponsors, 420 Australia, your number one store for 420 lifestyle and apparel. Organic Gardening Solutions, your one-stop shop for all your organic gardening needs. And finally, number one seed bank in the game, Seeds Here Now. You know them, you trust them, you love them. Guarantee on satisfaction. Why grow out something which you then might be pissed off about and there's just nothing you can do? Guarantee's there for a reason, y'all. Hit them up. On this episode, we're joined by the one and only Sharbud of 707 Seed Bank. Really excited to bring this one to you. It was a whole bunch of fun. Let's jump into it. Alrighty. I'd like to extend a big thank you and welcome to Sharbud of 707 Seed Bank. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, bud. Totally excited. So, first question we've been doing recently. What are you currently smoking on? Uh, I'm, I still love my OG. The uh, SFV cut been my favorite for 15 plus years now. Um, can't get enough of it. So been smoking a little bit of that, a little bit of lemon tree, um, doing some blends of the two. Give it, give that lemon tree a little extra kick. Wow, there's a lot to go into. So first of all, the SFV thing, that's interesting. I've noticed a lot of the chem fam seems to favor SFV. Do you think that a lot of people just like don't really maybe have the real cut and so they don't think it's the best? Like, why do you think that most, I guess what I'm trying to say is, why do you think most people don't regard it as the best while a lot of the real heads do? I think the majority of the people that have SFV now have some kind of fake cut they bought from the club and was just called SFE. Uh, a lot of the dispensaries out here, um, I know they pass off a, a Cali Connection cut of the San Fernando Valley as the real cut, you know. Um, so it's it's just a lot of mislabeling and, you know, they, they probably just don't have the real deal is what's going on. And out of curiosity, do you think all of the CaliCon hybrids are made with the real one? Uh, Swerve, uh, who knows about that guy? Um, I'm sure he's just throwing names on stuff here and there. Uh, he got me. He got me for a few packs of seeds, maybe ten plus years ago, and worst seeds I've ever grown in my life. I mean, e- even worse than Sensi seed now. Oh, yeah. See, he got me for a few packs too. But what I think is true, and I don't say this as a criticism, is I like to describe Swerve's gear as like a glass cannon. I think if you run like six fem seeds from him, you're probably going to find four Hermes. But one of them could well be a really nice keeper. And that was my experience. I, I ran like three of his packs. I think out of the three packs, I found two keepers, which is, you know, like I hope to find at least one from one pack. So, you know, I was hoping for three, got two, so maybe a little low. But, you know, those keepers were nice. But the fact that the others were Hermes, that was a bit like, uh, you know, I'd maybe just prefer they weren't keepers. But, um, oh, well, I guess that's, yeah, sorry. Were they, were they uh, feminized seeds or regular seeds? Feminized, but here's how we can add more to the story. One of the packs, one of the ones that I was particularly blown away by was the, it was Bubba Kush Feminized, like, but it was from like a BX line. And then I heard that he actually purchased that line from someone else and hadn't really done it himself. So I was like, oh, well, I like that one. So, hmm. 
Nice, nice. Yeah, he got me for uh, I'd bought him ten packs of the of his SFV OG, you know, and, and went back and forth talking to him, and and you know he sold himself pretty good. Anyhow, out of that ten pack of seeds, or the yeah the ten packs, um, I ended up throwing most of it away. Yeah, well, I, I knew that he definitely had some issues with the SFV line in particular a few years ago. And I think ultimately the reason he came out and said that there was some pollen contamination issues. Oh, really? Yeah, but I think he also, I mean, I could be totally wrong, but I think he also said that like it was a, he had outsourced that crop. And so, yeah, I think that's maybe how it happened. Could be totally wrong. Anyway. He sold me pretty good on those seeds. Like I kept on asking him, I was like, you know, uh, they need to be consistent, and what did I think he said? Like they were worked to F six or F seven or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Seed Seed Finder says that they they were consistent, but it was it was consistent crap. Is what it ended up being. All right. Well, that that means that like I got no idea of what SFV is because that's my only real experience with it. Is is the Cali Connection SFV? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I, I grew out uh, all the OGs side by side one year. Um, everything I could get my hands on. Uh, I did the SFV, the Ghost, the Fire, the Triangle, the Tahoe. Uh, what else was there? There was a, y, uh, a white Wi-Fi number three. I think I had gotten from uh, from uh, Cornbread Ricky, or I don't forget what his name goes by. Big Ricky from yeah. uh, Swamp Boys. And uh, there, my my favorite out of all of them was SFE. Oh, and cool. even even to this day, there's just uh, it works great for my body chemistry. It, it, it uh, never lets me down. It's always just uh, takes me to a higher level. Doesn't matter how much of it I smoke, it gets me higher and higher each time. Uh, just just one, and I mean, it's been a good solid shoot since you know the early two thousands that uh, I've been smoking on it almost on a daily basis and I, I still haven't gotten tired of it. Yeah, okay. So where do you think it sits in regards to the OGs? Do you think it's one of the originals or where do you think it, it spurts off in the lineage, so to speak? I think it's just a uh, uh, S1, maybe off the Triangle Kush. Yeah, probably probably just an S one off the triangle. You know, I'm I'm not too sure, and and uh, I I stopped paying attention to a lot of the uh, the history and the background of strains a while ago. It just seems like people were making up a lot of bullshit, and yeah, the truth never really came out. So, but okay, well, I'm gonna have to push you for one more then because this is the one I'm most interested in. I got the suspicion, like most people, that Triangle was the first, but no one can really seem to elucidate where Ghost fits into things because it's like, I guess Ghost could maybe be an S1 of Triangle and it's kind of very Triangle-leaning and it's not like Lemony, like SFV. But then I've heard other people say that maybe it went like Triangle to Ghost and then from there ghost slash um you know because obviously oregon kid had it and he did that famous s1 project and then someone was like what if all of the sfv and the face off and all of that just came from that s1 series and i was like that's that's plausible you know i mean i guess right right i I know the face off definitely came off of those 
uh, I remember when Fletch got those originally, um, kicked down a couple of cuts. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he, he even said there were S1s from uh, the Ghost, or, or maybe it was the Cross. Uh, it's been so long, it's hard to remember. But, you know, I, I hear people say Lemony with the SFV. And I, when I grew them all out side by side, I mean, it, it was really hard to tell a difference between them. Like the Ghost and the Tahoe are almost identical. Uh, you know, e- even the Triangle, there, I mean, there was just slight, slight little differences when growing them all out. But just the, the, the high from the SFV and, and the, I mean, even the, the flavor just seemed to come out better for me. You know, every grower is different, so I don't, I don't know if I just have a connection with that plant or what, but. What do you think about the idea? I don't know if it was an actual grow or if it was a phyllis thing, but someone basically put the idea forward that they did a similar thing to you. They collected them all, and they were like, most of them are just the same cut. Yeah, I've seen that with the phyllis. I was just actually just on there a couple of days ago and noticed that they were all, but. You know, with Phyllis, who knows who's sending what cut in there, and and you know, did did they were they able to trace it back to the, you know, to the original person, you know? So I'm not I'm not too until Phyllis gets a a uh, legit cut of everything to to you know like a, a baseline for their galaxy. It's it's still a little up in the air. Yeah. Well. What do you? How far off do you think they are? Because I I was of the same mindset, and then I was talking to someone a few days ago, and they listed a whole bunch of cuts that we had on record had been sent in. Like for example, uh, you know CSI has said that he sent in the Chem ninety one and Purple Urkel, Mendo Perps, and then Not So Dog. Uh, sorry, yeah, Not So Dog is um sent in a few things and you know what i mean like if you go through all the instagram posts online you can kind of draw up a list of what's been gathered and when i looked at the list i was like that's actually pretty comprehensive and i'm pretty confident most of these guys have got the real ones so i guess it kind of raises the question at what point would you feel comfortable with the galaxy because i do share that same concern but i i now start to question like it's looking kind of complete to me right well you you just you just said the two names that I, i uh I, I trust in those guys. Um, they, they've done their homework, both CSI and Not So Dog. They, they've, uh, they, you know, they, they've tracked down their their cuts to the to the original source. Yeah. You know, so th- those guys I, I totally trust. Um, totally, you know, believe in their judgment um, and their opinions. Uh, but the majority of the folks, it, it's hard to say. Yeah. True. Because there's a lot of other stuff being sent in that's just not correct. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I kind of blanked on that one. All right. Well, let's jump back for a moment, all the way back to the beginning. What was your first experience with cannabis? Um, I grew, my, my old man smoked. I got an older brother, older sister. Uh, so my whole life, it's always just been there. Um, the smell, like I, I remember that from, it's like one of my earliest memories. Uh and then I was a, a latchkey kid. Both my parents worked. Um, so at a young age, and, and the place I, I grew up in the in uh, San Francisco area, and it was, it was you know uh, low income housing. Um, so there was a lot of everything around. It was, we didn't call it the ghetto; we called it the get go because there was just like every other house was cooking meth in this neighborhood. Um, 
it never slept it, always sirens going off so there, there was pretty much just about anything and everything you can imagine uh, at your fingertips in this neighborhood so my first experience with cannabis i was pretty young um probably like nine or ten with the neighborhood kids uh Smoked it a couple times, never really did anything. And then uh, my eighth grade year, someone had brought in some uh, some some nice green nuggets to school, and, and we all smoked out, and that was the first time I ever got really high. And I remember walking uh, down the hallway of the school, and like just every step I took just felt like I was – climbing higher and higher, like floating in the air. Um, kind of, it was, you know, I, I went to class that day and, and, uh, that, that was, uh, that was a mistake. I should have just cut and never went, but <laughs> it, it rocked my world. And then, uh, I fell in love with it. It was just, um, put my mind to ease. Uh, I, they had put me on like, you know, uh, Ritalin, ADD medicine, all that stuff at a young age. So the, the herba has always just been, uh, I never knew it at the time, but I always self-medicated with it and it calmed me down, brought me back to normal. My, my brain wouldn't race, you know, a thousand miles per hour. And then let's yeah. see here. When I, when I was, uh, about 10 or 11, I ended up moving with my uncle and then, my my uh had an older cousin who wanted to go to a dead show and then my uncle was like you know if you want to go you got to take me with him and i was pretty young i think i was like 13 or something like that go to the dead show with my cousin and uh i was ex- i got to experience lsd <laughs> and that changed my whole world around i mean i was i was a pretty uh, rambunctious kid always getting into trouble and then I remember these doses there were uh it was like a, a a pig dressed in a cop's uniform and and wow that it just it changed my whole world even to this day it's like pretty wild and then um let's see from there i ended up moving uh i was 14 now i ended up moving uh with my sister in new york city and lived there for a year and i got a job uh it was an under the table job at this coffee shop. It's called the Sweetheart Cafe, and then uh, there was a liquor store right next door to the uh, coffee shop. And uh, every day, like after work, with my tip money, I would, uh, the liquor store had this whole wall of of high time magazines, uh, and and they were like you know from like three four years before uh, you know backdated or whatnot. So every day with my tip money, I would go in there buy buy high times. And then from there, I would walk to uh, Washington Square Park and uh, buy a little dime sack off the Rostas in there. And then from there, I had another job where I was walking dogs for my uh, brother-in-law's boss. So I'd go uptown, pick up the dogs, go to Central Park, let the dogs loose, and I'd just roll up a blunt and read the, the high times and and just get stony over there. And I was like, man, as soon as I get back to Cali, you know, every time I was like, this is what I'm going to do. This is this is my way out of the ghetto, so that was pretty much uh, my herb, like I, you know, the beginning of it, and, and then um, came back to California when I was almost sixteen, and uh, just jumped right into it. I, I uh, would 
there was a, a little park. Well, I'm not a little park, but it's called Brioni's. And uh, I rode my bike, ride my BMX down there and hiked down. You know, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I had some seeds. I hiked down into the creek. Then I grew them in, in the shade. Nothing much really ever came out of it. And then uh, one, you know, the few that I did harvest, I ended up drying them in the trees and turned brown and moldy and nasty. But, you know, this is the early, early 90s. It didn't matter. It was uh, and, and me being, you know, 15, 16 with some herb. It, it was pretty nice. So I was pretty stoked. Hell yeah. So uh, and the- <laughs> what I just wanted to ask before we move too far past it is when you were getting that stuff from the rasters, was it ever anything good? <laughs> no, it wasn't. And, and they would always pass it off as like, oh, Humboldt County or this, that, or the other. And what it would be would be it would be like a little gram baggie, and the outside of it would be you know brick weed, and then in the middle of it they would pack it full of stem and seed. Like I mean, it must have taken them a good thirty minutes to package each one of these things. Fuck. <laughs> but. You know, I'll just grind it all down and, and roll it up in a uh, tobacco leaf in a blunt back then. Uh, it, it was the only way I could handle the taste. And, you know, coming from Cali, it was, uh, you know, where I grew up, it, it was all just pretty much like the roadkill skunk or cat piss. Uh, we we barely ever saw Mexican weed. Uh, and so going, traveling to uh, America and going to like the East Coast, I spent some time in the South a little bit. And that's all they had. It was all just uh, the brown frown. Damn, that sucks. So, yeah. so when did you first start growing properly? Was it when you got back to Cali? Uh, properly. So, I got back to Cali. Uh, I was about sixteen. I lived with my folks for a few months, and then I took off again. And I moved in with uh, my pot dealer at the time. Uh, he let me. Uh, couch surf and all I pretty much had to do was just answer his phone while he went to work and you know take care of his business while he was gone he let me stay there for it's probably a good solid year and then from there I moved in with this uh, old HA family they took me in for about a year and you know I was doing my thing I was you know hustling on the side and working odd jobs here and there and then when I turned 18, I was living with this with this girl and my dealer at the time. His name was his name was Rick. We called him Tweaker Rick. You know, you got early 90s in California. Everyone, uh, all of the old cokeheads from the 80s turned to meth in the 90s. So it was it was, was kind of chaotic. But anyhow, my my pot dealer at the time, he was a tweaker, so we called him Tweaker Rick. And he would do like weird shit, like he would come over unannounced. You know, and be like, hey, man, I need to talk to you. And then he would take me out to his car, turn up the music like as loud as he could, and then like whisper in my ear like, you know, <laughs> everyone's listening to him. Anyhow, uh, Tweaker Rick ended up, he was getting herb fronted as well from another guy out in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And uh, Tweaker Rick ended up getting the great idea of using this guy's, all this guy's pot money that he had owed him to buy Elton John tickets. Right. And thinking he was going to scalp these tickets in the parking lot and make all his money back and double it up. Anyhow, he didn't sell a single ticket, took, you know, everybody he knew to see Elton John and then, you know, ended up stiffing this guy in Santa Cruz. 
So his way to pay back the guy in Santa Cruz was he had introduced him to me and, you know, I, I was still paying the tweaker Rick price, but now to, you know, the source, you know, so he had gotten his money back that way. And after a while, uh, we had built a relationship. He got some trust, you know, in me. And then he was like, you know, like, he, then that's when he told me that he was growing. He invited me over up to the hills once and I started trimming for them. And so at this point, I'm 18. And then uh, he asked me one day, he's like, you want to come help? You know, you want you want to move out here and help me out? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And, and they were doing a hydro setup. And, you know, I, I didn't know much. I didn't know anything back then, to be honest. And, and they were doing a, a rock wool. They were growing in rock wool, uh, four inch rock wool cubes on rock wool slabs. And, uh, you know, like th this is before carbon filters or anything like that. In Northern California, we had three hydro, hydro stores. There was one in Berkeley. We had one in San Jose and then we had one in, in Santa Cruz, uh, not Santa Cruz, in Sacramento. Uh, I think the only kind of products were out was maybe uh, Earth Juice and general hydroponics. Uh, I don't think there was anything else out at that time. So uh, ended up moving to Santa Cruz, was working uh, for this guy, um, like I said, in Rockwool on the slabs, and they had a recycling system. So the, the nugs never like filled out really good. Uh, you know, the climate wasn't all that great, but it, it's, it's the early 90s. So it, as long as it didn't have seeds or if it was brown, you know, it was going and you're getting top, top dollar for it back then. So the guy I was working with, they ended up opening up a hydro store in the Santa Cruz mountains. And so this is, yeah, early nineties. Um, no, this is mid nineties, uh, nine, probably 97. 96 or 97 and you know, my boss man uh had a set up another house with this couple living inside of it and they had just opened up a hydro store in the santa cruz mountains in soquel and the uh the dea or i don't think it was yeah maybe it was the dea they ended up following everybody uh home that would go to the hydro store oh no so uh, it was called operation green fire and they did it to you know i think it was every hydro store we had here in Northern California. So, I mean, it wasn't too many, but uh, they were following people home and ended up doing massive raids and whatnot. So at that time uh, I was at the grow house um, early in the morning. My boss man wasn't there and, you know, the door gets kicked down and, and, you know, here comes all these guys hooting and hollering and whatnot. And uh, so ended up getting busted then. Um, my boss man ended up getting, uh, six months of work release in the Santa Cruz area back then, which, you know, for, for the amount that there he was growing, I mean, if you were probably, you know, in Southern California or Eastern California, they would have thrown the book at you and given you like five to 10 years. Ooh. But, uh, it is, you know, out here, you got to know your laws and out here, if you live in the Northern district, the judge back then was very lenient with the herb. Where you know the the judge in the Eastern District would would have just thrown the book at you and you would have been locked up for a long long time. Shit. So 
that was my first growing experience, uh, real like growing, uh, perpetual harvest. You know, they taught me how to clone. Um, uh, so after we got busted there, I ended up going back to the San Francisco area. Um, was doing my thing there. Uh, and back then I was getting some really, really good herb, uh, indoor herb from Santa Cruz mountains. Um, like I remember we had some awesome big bud and Mongolian indica. What else was there? There was one called the asthma that I've been looking for, but uh, no one's ever heard of it. Um, since, uh, what else was there? Oh, anyhow. So I was doing my thing in the Bay. Um, I had some of the best herb in the Bay during the time. And then the, the Canadian, the Canadian, the BC herb started coming through and, Prices of herb went from, you know, uh, quality indoor, like wholesale was 4000 bucks, And then this BC herb started flooding in and it was going for $2,000. So now no one wanted the quality stuff. They wanted the cheap, cheap, cheap. And uh, that pretty much ended it for me out there. And then I moved to the Sierra Mountains. And that's where I started pursuing my grow uh, much more. And not only that, I had, I had a... a uh, I had my first kid then as well. So that kind of pushed me into it. Um, I went back to school, uh, got a couple jobs, you know, I was working full time and going to school full time and, uh, I was growing a little herb in the backyard, had a eight lighter inside, um, to help, you know, help get by and whatnot. And at that time, so, you know, I, I learned with the rock wool. So that I was growing, I, I started with the rock wool, and, you know, just it would just never turn out the way I wanted it. And, you know, I was taught with a recycling system. So the only thing I did different was I ended up uh, ditching the recycling system and going to a drain to waste. And and that just changed the whole setup. I mean, it, it was night and day. Just it all of a sudden just turned out amazing. Thick buds, you know, super frost. I was growing train wreck back then and uh, nothing but train wreck for like a good solid three years. And and then, uh, man, I so, lost track. Where I was. no, that that's that's amazing so far. So, the question I want to ask first off is: Were there any uh, like kind of prominent breeders back then, or was everyone still super hush hush about everything? Super super hush hush, super hush hush. No one ever knew what you were doing. Uh, you didn't tell anybody. Definitely didn't like you know bring any girlfriends or anything like that around. Um, very, very hush hush, you know, uh, and you know, the only thing you could learn from were the books back then. I mean, I had all these high times and all that stuff, ask Ed, but, uh, you know, there was, there was nobody to talk to about, about it, you know, and, and, you know, I had, I had friends that were growing also, but they didn't know I was growing and I didn't know they were growing at the time. It was, you know, it was really, really hush hush back then. And so what, what was the progression into your first breeding project and what was like the first cross you made? My first cross I ever made was, uh, it was late, Leto Uno or something like that. Um, I forget the name of the seed Leto Uno. Yeah, I think it was Leto Uno or something like that. I forget the seed bank. And I had, uh, there was a strain going around. It was called the blue dot, um, in California. And someone had told me it was this Leto Uno, you know, and that's, it was just a pheno out of that. And so 
bought a pack of seeds, popped them out. Um, didn't know, you know, really what I was doing. I was just playing and ended up t- dusting uh, a train wreck with uh, a male of that. And I remember the seeds just being these tiny, tiny, tiny little seeds, um, which is, is a normal characteristics when you cross anything, the train wreck. But I thought I fucked it up somehow, you know? <laughs> uh, so that, that was my first real cross or not real cross, but me just playing around. And then um, I ended up getting the strain in about, it was about like 2000, maybe 2002. It was my old high school strain, cat piss. And, you know, back when I was going to high school, everything was either cat piss or skunk. There was, uh, we didn't really have names to it at all. It was green or brown. They called it swag or dank, you know, kill bud, uh, KGB, killer green bud. Um so I ended up getting this cat piss, uh, found it in my hometown, um, getting that. And, and I always thought the cat piss was related to the roadkill skunk. Back in, you know, in the, uh, in the 90s, we, the skunk we would always get would be, uh, it would just be this really light green, barely any hairs, and it would always have these really fat uh, uh, sugar leaf that would just coat, like cocoon the whole bud. You know, and and uh, so the cat piss is what kind of got me going really into the breeding, thinking that I could find the roadkill inside of it. Um, but it, it wasn't in there at all. It's just all cat piss. <laughs> so so that, that's what uh, kind of got me going into it. And it was just a uh, it's just labor of love for me. Man, that's. That's going to become a sound bite, just so you know. That was so good. <laughs> right on. It's just old cat piss. <laughs> so, and then, uh, so, you know, I've, I've, uh, I, I was blowing glass for a long time. I've always liked, I've always enjoyed creating uh, things. It's, it's uh, The breeding is, is like my art now. It's, uh, you know, sort of just creating, making your own strain, um, digging through, digging through the seeds, you know, not knowing what's going to pop up. It's, it's super, I I love it. It's just uh, really exciting. I I love the gamble of it. Um, I love everything about it. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's why we should pop more seeds. And we're going to talk about that soon, but just to quickly jump back to the cat piss. I noticed uh, strains like the cat piss and including cat piss pop up somewhat commonly on your Instagram. And more importantly, a lot of people, you know, generally speak quite highly of it. Yet, it's hard to find and almost no one really breeds with it. Why do you think it fell off if it is kind of getting a bit of a resurgence right now? Uh, it's it's the same thing with like the roadkill skunk. Um, well, well, back then, so mid nineties, uh, like the cat piss that I'm working with and, and yeah, uh, the name cat piss was just, uh, loosely thrown on anything that had that smell. So the cat piss that I have now is a pure indica, but like in, in high school we would, uh, we would get like, uh, we would either name the cat piss from the city we bought it from or from the dealer. So, like, we, we had uh, the Nate dog piss. We would get cat piss from this girl, Claire. So, we called it the Claire piss. Uh, the cat piss that I hold right now, we would get it from this town called Pittsburgh. So, we called it the Pittsburgh piss. 
Um, there was another one called the Danville piss, uh, Tom, the bomb piss, you know? Uh, so, and, and now after, you know, growing for so many years, I've, I've kind of, you know, like we would, the one we'd get from this guy, Nate, um, it had to be like a super silver haze or some kind of haze. It was always really airy, really, you know, really, uh, skinny, um, sugar leaves where like, you know, a, a lot of the other ones would be, uh, now you know looking back at it i could tell it, it had to be you know indicas of some sort just because of how fat the sugar leaf would cocoon you know just be like one leaf uh one blade would like cocoon the whole entire nugget yeah wow so i've always had like a similar suspicion about because i noticed that on your feed uh purple indica pops up and i've always figured that was another cat piss type thing where it was just like a broad term for many strains do you think that is the case or it was always referring to one cut the the purple indica has always been the one cut ah see it's almost counterintuitive yeah it um came from the pacific northwest uh now i i have seen the purple indica here in california but labeled purple kush yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know if the, if it's the Garberville Purple Kush from a long time ago. Um, I don't know if, you know, if, if it started in Garberville, made its way to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, what, what other names they, they call it? They call it the Ultraviolet as well, the Purple Indica. Um, I think it might even have another name, but I just can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, it's so funny you mention that because I remember the the first strain to ever really kind of proper captivate my attention was indeed the purple Kush that was like the the mislabeled purple indica, and I remember it was the second time I'd ever smoked like proper good American weed, and there was something so special about it. And looking back on it, one of the first things I think of is why don't people breed with these, or more importantly, why don't you see like S ones of these? Surely there'd be a demand, you'd think. You'd think, you know, and, and back in the day before uh, Instagram and I guess before, you know, uh, the oil craze, th there was, you know, because, uh, you know, 100% of the market was all buying flowers. Now it's like, you know, 50% of the market's buying flour and the other 50% is buying oils now. So we, we lost a lot of that. And then now it's also big... Uh, you know, it's it's whatever the Jungle Boys has grown. It's what people want, and and uh, whatever's all hyped up, or whoever's rapping about what is is just what the market wants now. And and so, like a lot of these good classics are are going extinct, and uh, people are missing out. There's there's a there's a lot of great weed, but you know they just want that picture picture perfect uh, herb that's on Instagram that everybody's you know hyping about and and. You know, they're, they're, they're going to miss out on a lot of these good stuff, these good classics that we had. And also, that, 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 pur that purple indica is uh, it's a real finicky plant, and it's, it's kind of a pain to grow. So I think that's, that was another reason why uh, it never really picked up like a, a lot of other strains did. Yeah, okay. So in regards to concentrates, do you feel like the the growing demand of consumers wanting things like, say, vape cartridges and just, you know, dabs, whatnot, distillates in general is going to have a negative impact ultimately on the growing culture? Yeah, absolutely. I, absolutely. I, I think, 
I know, I know a lot of old timers, you know, they've been smoking their whole lives and they don't even smoke flour anymore. They just go to the cartridges now on the pens. It's just, uh, it doesn't smell for them. They could keep it in their pocket. They could puff it anywhere. Uh, it, it's, it's changing and it's changing really, really fast. The whole, the whole, uh, the whole ganja culture that we had out here. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely going to be a thing in the past. I feel like in the next 10, 20 years. And so how can we raise kind of this issue in the broader mindset of the, the consumer's community, I guess, because I think something which is kind of implied in this whole discussion is that a lot of the people buying these cartridges are probably just Joe Blow and they probably, you know, don't know much about the majority of this. Do you think we should try to put some information out there or do you think like it's, you know, like you can't force someone to be like into something so to speak yeah i don't think you could force people into you know that people like what they like and and uh they like things that are easy and those cartridges are easy like i said i mean people that have smoking their whole lives or are uh smoking you know flour their whole life or or just switching over to the pens uh, it blows me away like I, and I, i've tried a couple pens here and there I've, I've tried some that where they add the fake flavoring and whatnot and you know, I ain't gonna lie. They, they taste good. It, you know, it's it's it, it tastes like candy. Some of them, and it does kind of work. But it's just, for me, it's it's not my thing. You know, I don't I don't like the dabs. I don't like the pens. Uh, you know, I, I like to roll up a big fatty and kick back, and I like to enjoy it. You know, I I, I, eat, I like to eat my food slow. I like to smoke my. You know, I like to relax with my weed. And, um. So the, the the oil thing and the pens has never been my jam, but even even the younger generation now, um, like I know my, my kids' friends, they always tell me that they, they say like you know they've never smoked herb before, they've only taken dabs, which just blows me away, you know. Wow. Uh, yeah. So yeah. with that in mind, do you have to keep this top this type of uh, consumer demand in mind when you breed? Do you kind of reluctantly? make plants which may be more inclined to concentrate production or is it an afterthought no it's uh i, I breed for myself I've, i always have it's it's uh the weed that i breed is the weed that i enjoy smoking um and i mean i guess i guess the real reason why i started was that you know i, I don't want to lose these like like you know the roadkill skunk is completely gone for the most part, and, and you know, I, I don't want to lose the OG. I don't want to, you know, 20 years from now, it just be to completely gone. So uh, pretty all, everything is, uh, has been, I guess the majority of stuff has been what I enjoy smoking. Um, I like, I like uh, it's got to make my mouth water. If it doesn't make my mouth water, I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, and it's got to get me high, you know? <laughs> yeah, two, two very good criteria. So, going to get into some serious good stuff here. But the first thing I wanted to throw out is I wanted to put you a little bit off foot here and say that Chem 4 has got to easily be my least favorite of the chems. So, it's your job, yeah. to, it's your job to change my mind. <laughs> well, I got a thing that I do with like the Sour, the sour D and the Chem where uh, I, I lose half my yield, but I, I, I root bound them. Um, and when I do that... Uh, you know, as long as you get your, as long as you keep it healthy and, and root bound. So I'll grow them out in a one gallon pot and I'll leave it inside there, you know, and I veg for a month and then I'll flower them out. 
And what I find is with, with both the Sour D and the Chem 4 uh, is the buds become much smaller but much tighter and uh like the the i don't know if it's just like the the potency goes up or what but for my body chemistry that chem 4 works really well i had gotten the um the chem 91 originally before i got the chem 4 and uh that came straight from skunk va i met him he was uh doing some work over at my neighbor's house one day and uh, I went over there and we just started talking. And then, you know, he had mentioned uh, the the Chem 91. Um, the first time I had heard about the Chem 91 was from, I think maybe I read it in High Times or something like that. It was going like for $600 an ounce in New York City. Uh, you know, the best weed ever. And then the second time I heard about it was I was at a uh, harvest party and um not so dog was there who else uh, jack herrera was there um Dang. kyle cushman uh eddie lepp is always at these things too and um at that party talking to not so dog he had also mentioned the chem 91 you know and i'm already intrigued now i'm hearing 600 an ounce in new york it's the best weed the strongest you know this that and the other and, uh, you know, I begged him for a cut and he was like, no, it's, you know, we, him and his crew had a pack. It wasn't going anywhere. So, uh, you know, fast forward to a year or two later, I met skunk VA over at my neighbor's house and, you know, he's telling me the story and then, you know, similar stories as, as not so dog told me. So I knew it was legit. Uh, and, you know, he had also told me, he was like, you know, I've never given out a cut of this and you know i told him i was like you know the, the, you know I'm, I'm breeding um you know playing around and i was like you know let, let me work it and you know i'll give you back every step of seeds that, that i make from it um so so he, he ended up uh giving kicking me down a cut uh i grew it out a bunch um my first cross with it was uh I had uh, back cross three the Bubba Kush, and then uh, used the mail of that and hit the Chem ninety one, and then from that I think I did another back cross of the Chem ninety one, and then at this point I was partying a lot during these days. So one day I, I took off for like two days, and I left my seeds out um, out of the jar. Well, I left the jar the lid open. And when I came back home, the jar was completely emptied. All, all the uh, the packages of seeds had a little holes in them, and there was a bunch of right uh, mouse or rat shit all over it. They had eaten like a good like six seven years of breeding work. Um, Fuck. It, it, yeah, yeah, it totally sucked. But you know, I, I shared I shared a shit ton of seeds to a lot of people, and you know, tracked everybody down. I was like, you know, can I get those back? Can I get those back? And slowly you know gathered as much as i could um and then uh inspector got the chem you know one two three four and he had kicked those down and i grew those out and and uh the chem 91 to me reminds me a lot of og so when, when i had a jar um 
and this is just me. This is my my flavor, you know, my my taste buds. So it's it's not gonna be the same for everybody. For but to me, it, it reminds me a lot of, of OG. And so when I had a jar of you know like Chem ninety one or an SFV, I always found myself going towards the OG, the SFV. Uh, I just found the taste better. And then and then I got the Chem four and all those ones. And, and the Chem four. Uh, and like the Chem Sis have a real similar flavor. The Chem D has a similar flavor to the Chem Four and the and the Chem Sis, but it's more it has more of a fuel to it. And then, then the Chem Ninety One just to me doesn't smell like I, any of the other ones. It, I mean, to me, it smells and tastes like OG. So that that's when I stopped uh, working with the Chem Ninety One, and actually I started with my SFV project at that point. And ended up going with the Chem 4. I didn't have the Sys or the D at that time. Um, and so I started working the Chem 4. And I don't, I don't know what it is about it. It's just one of those ones that it, when, you, when you get it right, it, it, uh, I mean, I've seen a lot of shitty examples uh, of it. And a lot of people like, uh, I don't know, the buds just get real fluffy or they burn it. You know, it's... Um, but when you get it right, man, for, for me, it's just, I, I love that taste. I don't know. Yeah, okay. So, the first thing we have to loop back to, you said uh, Inspector kicked you some cuts of the Chem 1 through to 4 and you grew them out? Uh, yeah, I, I remember I, I remember the 3. Maybe I didn't get the 1 and the 2, or maybe I did. I, it's been so long. Um but at all, I remember, the th- I think that, I you know, I can't remember the, the ones, but the, the four was the one I liked the best out of all of them. I remember one being more OG style. It, it grew more of a vine. Um, Do you remember it being sativa? Because that's the commonly said thing that like one of them was quite sativa. I think it was either one or two. I don't remember. I, I can't remember at all. It's been so long ago. Okay. So, you, you mentioned that um, at that point you started working on the SFV line as well as, you know, having that run-in with Skunk VA. That's really interesting because I wanted to ask because um, he's he's not the type of guy who, like, you know, often says people's names unless, like, you know, he knows you're cool. But he had he'd kind of told me that same story you had told me but just without actually saying names. So, I guess that would mean that uh, you are the kind friend who donated the, uh, the SFV BX line that he's started his backcross project with yeah 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 i gave him uh so uh he gave me the cut um we chilled for you know hang out with him for about a year after that and then uh you know life just got busy he got busy and we lost contact for several years and then probably about four years ago we had met up at the emerald cup um, and at that point, you know, I had, uh, I had, I had, I think I was pretty much done with my chem four line at that point. So I gave him every step of the breeding process of, of all the chems that I had made. Um, you know, I, I had lost a lot of the chem 91 stuff, early stuff fr- from the mice, but, uh, g- gave him what I could. And then at that same time, um, I had just finished making, uh, SFV backcross twos, and I also had did a uh, backcross one uh, F twos as well. 
Um, and you know, I hadn't, I hadn't grown them out, but I just gave it to him, um, to see what he had thought. And then, uh, yeah, but I think the, the SFV back cross twos that he's working with were, uh, from the seeds that I had given him. Yeah. Fantastic. And I remember initially when Skunk VA said to me that he felt the SFV OG or maybe broadly speaking, the OG was a good partner to complement the Chem 91 in terms of like starting a back crossing project. It was something that I hadn't really heard expressed at the time, you know, especially because in the past, a lot of chem backcross projects, like if you look at uh, JJ or at even Res, they just use Landrace Afghanis. So I was almost expecting him to say something like that would be what he would use. So when he said, oh, no, I've gone with this SFVOG BX, it was a little, it threw me off kilter a little bit. But I guess at the same time, it's exactly the same thing you've been saying this whole interview of like how OG and chem are really quite similar and complementary. Right, right, right. Yeah, you know, like I said, uh, I, I think they're totally related. Um, you know, I, I, I've always felt the OG came from the uh, the 91. You know, maybe from a bag seed or... Yeah. Or, or something like that. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I think they complement each other very well. Um, to, you know, to, the SFV by far is probably my favorite strain of all times. But... Uh, Mm-hmm. So you can't can't really go wrong with that at all. And then everything you know, even that when I cross uh, to the SFV, the actual clone, um, it, it's similar to the ninety one. It, it packs a punch. It, it brings the potency way up on on anything you uh, pollinate it with. Yeah, for sure. That's that's something we definitely hear commonly spoken about. So one thing I do have to kind of ask and get it out of the way. Why is South Fork Seeds using your chem for IBL as well? Uh, not only, there's been uh, quite a few seed companies that uh, I've given seeds to before they even had a seed company. And, you know, um, it, it, it breeds well. I, I put my, you know, I put my heart and soul into these seeds and, and uh, you know, I, I try everything out. If, if it doesn't, you know, if, if the cross didn't work, I, I go back, you know, I start over until, until I'm happy with the results. Uh, I'm very selective with my, with my breeding. I know a lot of people disagree with it, but I'm, I'm one male, one female. Um, you know, I, I reverse, I reverse all my males so I can see what kind of terps they got. Um, when I was able to go to the labs, I could get them tested. And, and like, so, you know, if I, if I select like out of a run, you know, let's, I'll select like four or five males that I find that, you know, has got what I like. And then I'll cross each male to its own female of the, you know, the same exact clone. So let's just say the Chem 4 line. Uh, so I'd pick, you know, you know, four or five of the Chem 4 males that I liked. And then I would cross each male to its own Chem 4 clone. And then I would grow all those out. And that now I can pinpoint, like, you know, what male did what. And, and you know, so, like uh, my, my, the SFV I've been working on, um, that OGs is probably one of the hardest strains I've ever worked on trying to get that that flavor out of it. And, and there's been times where, you know, I found a full-blown OG male, smells um, just like OG, but when I back cross it, it comes out this like water, like watered down OG, almost like a wet cardboard taste and smell to it. Um, so, not, you know, not always does it work out, but uh, for the most part, I'm, I'm able to cut out all the guesswork when reversing the males. 
Yeah. Okay. And uh, so, I mean, the, the, the line's very stable. You know, every seed comes out, uh, chem dog with that chem four. Um, and then, you know, for, for breeding purposes, it's, uh, you know, depending on what your goal is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's uh, a good start. You know, the, the seeds are totally stable, so you're not going to get, uh, you know, a, a bunch of different variation throughout the seeds. And, and uh, you know, I, I, never, I never wanted to – the seed making has always just been for myself. It, it's, it's my hobby. It's, it's what I enjoy doing. I never intended to come out with a seed company. And then seeing all these people uh, using my seeds to start up a seed company um, kind of, you know, lit a fire in my ass and, and pushed me to, uh, uh, you know, come out with my own seeds. You know, I'm spending tens of thousands of dollars on electricity, um, you know, making these lines and whatnot. And then I'm seeing all these other guys profiting off of off my work and, some of them give me credit. Some of them don't. Um, you know, the, this whole breeding world, it's kind of a shady industry, <laughs> to be honest with you. I, I'm not a, a big fan, and, and I don't know how much longer I got it in me. Uh, some of the things these people are doing is just, just so unethical and, and just downright shady. Um, so, I don't know. South Fork, uh, you know, they must have liked the stuff, and they went with it. Yeah, and so is that the diplomatic answer or like you don't mind if someone's using kind of like the same mail that you're using at the same time? Uh, you know, they're not using the same exact mail. I, I gave them a handful of seeds, but, uh, you know, the, the seed line's totally consistent. So it's like any knucklehead can pop out 10 of these seeds and you're, and you're going to find chem dog. They're all going to be chem dog mail. So it's not like a... Yeah. No, you know, I, I get uh, you definitely. So, you know, so at what point did you decide to start 707 Seed Bank? Um, I think it was uh, Inspector and Little Hill Farms were just kept on pushing me. They were just like, you know, uh, all, all these guys were that you they were like, stop giving out your seeds because everybody I've been giving the seeds out uh, to had started up a, a seed company. You know, there's. South Fork, um, uh, you know, uh, who else? Uh, Skunk VA with that, with the, uh, with the, uh, SFV. Yeah. Um, I know, I know, uh, uh, Swamp Boy Seeds use, uh, some white diesel seeds I had given them in some of their, in one of their crosses. Um, who else is there? There's a couple, uh, a guy in Oregon, uh, what has he got? chronic culture or something like that um i know he used the uh the cat or the um the chem dogs in his line uh there's another guy i don't want to mention their name but um i had traded seeds to him he's you know he gave me the whole oh i got the roadkill skunk it came from you know mendocino joe this that or the other traded him seeds and uh you know i grew out all of his seeds that they must have been um from uh, some brick weed that he had picked out it was just crazy long sativas and whatnot and that guy ended up coming out with this uh a seed company and, and uh using my chems using the chem four but he had switched the name to like chem d or something like that but um if you look at the guy the guy's pictures were obviously chem four and all of that like 
I'd given them the breakdown of how I made the seed line. And instead of, uh, uh, you know, using the Bubba Backcross 3 Chem 91 as my first, uh, as the first donor, he had switched up the name from Bubba Backcross 3 to uh, Heirloom Afghani Cross to Chem 91 Cross to uh, Chem, and then he's changed the Chem 4 to Chem 2. Um, so that, that was just kind of, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's very flattering. I'm, I'm, I'm really honored that these people, uh, like to, you know, think, think the seeds are good enough to use in, in, uh, breeding projects. But at that point I was just like, you know, um, maybe I got something here, you know, I'm, uh, so that, that's when I decided to come out and do my own thing. You know, I, I'm, I'm my own, I'm, I'm my worst critic. Uh, so everything, uh, I mean, I got I got a, a refrigerator full of seeds that uh, you know won't ever release, or uh, you know I just give them out. Um, but it just it, they just didn't reach my standard, or, or you know, and there, there's a lot of strains where you know, like like the cat piss. Uh, uh, I, I tried crossing males to the actual clone, but the uh, the traits that I was looking for, like the cat piss flavor and the smell, would have never transferred through. It was more the structure. So then that's when I was like, okay, I got to make this cat piss into a male form, and then try to hit these other clones to you know boost the potency up on it. Um, you got to remember the, the weed back in like you know the late '80s, early '90s uh, doesn't compare to the weed that we have now. Just like you know. The really old timers where they're always like, uh, oh, the Acapulco gold or the Panama red or, you know, this side of the other. Oh, it was the best weed ever back in the day, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you grow it out now, it's like, you know, you smoke a couple joints and you try to give it away to people and then they don't want it and it ends up getting thrown away. <laughs> you know, it, it just doesn't compare to the weed nowadays. And so. Yeah, for sure. So. One of the strains that I think is possibly most well-known from your work, Kush Cleaner. Give us a little bit of a background on it. Uh, the Kush Cleaner, actually, um, the the original cross was made by somebody else. It was, it was by this really great guy. His name is Lauren. Really sweet guy. Um, uh, and he was breeding for Motor Rebel for a while. And... Uh, he when he gave me the seeds, um, he called it long bottom leaf, and uh, it was just an awesome, awesome producer outside. Uh, finished fairly early, middle of October. Huge, huge light green buds. Uh, almost had an indoor, but it, it's really high in like myrcene, um, kind of that train wrecky flavor and like i was saying I, I had grown that train wreck for so many years straight and smoked it for so many years uh you know nothing but it that that flavor um and that smell that terpene profile just kind of makes me cringe but everybody else loved loved the uh long bottom leaf but they hated the name and every year you know i'd go back to lauren and i'd be like hey you know i need i need a few more hundred seeds you know so he uh, he was just like Take the mail, make your own. Um, so he gave me the cut of, uh, he used the Jack's Cleaner mail. Um, so he gave me the cut of the mail, uh, ended up making my own seeds. 
and um, hit, you know, hit the SFV with it. Uh, I also hit this blockhead that I had grown out for years and years. Actually, the blockhead is what I had grown before I started growing the Kush cleaner as, as a, a major outdoor crop. Um, potent, potent, potent. This is the, the male was just a stud. Anything he touched just became huge, uh, but it also gave off that, that Jack Mercine um, flavor and smell to everything it touched. So, uh, yeah, anyhow, Lauren gave me the, the mail. I ended up making my own seeds. Uh, the name Long Bottom Leaf wasn't really flying. <laughs> so uh, a, a bunch of my tremors, you know, they were like, call a Kush cleaner. And then that's when the name stuck to it. Uh, but but not it's not my, uh, you know, I, I just recreated uh, the seeds. But um, not my, you know, it wasn't my work at all. It, was, it definitely all came from Lauren. And then... Maybe a good 10 years ago, uh, Lauren had lost the mail, and then um, my I had also lost the mail. So he, uh, he then got some more Jack Cleaner seeds and recreated it, um, but calls it now just uh, calls it long bottom rather than the long bottom leaf. So you know it's not uh, the identical or anything like that as, as the original one, but um still i'm sure it's it's pretty good yeah wow that's that's a really cool story as a bit of a side note i um i think i tried that newer one because i think i could be wrong here but i think he had to use the jacks cleaner 2 instead of the original one just due to what tga is releasing yeah 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 that's exactly what had happened yeah, man, that's such a small world because I actually, he ended up making a little freebie project where it was that new one he made, that mail, uh, crossed to Gorilla Glue. It's just like a freebie because, you know, like a little hype thing. And I got some totally. of the, Yeah, I got some of those seeds, grew them out, found an all right leaning female and then crossed it to this Chernobyl. But, oh, my God, it tapped into that long bottom and it's just amazing. So, it was so funny just hearing you talk all about that. Oh, right on, right on. Yeah, and, and then uh, I don't know if Lauren still breeds with uh, is still breeding for Moto Rebel, but I, I know he he had also used uh, uh, the Chem Four, uh, the my seed line of Chem Four in some of his lines, and he had also used uh, a pineapple tie in, in some of his in some of his uh, work there, but I, I'm I'm not too sure if he had released them with Moto Rebel or not. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, either way, interesting. We'll have to dive into it later. I want to ask you about the pineapple tie because this is on the website and it's so interesting to me because you don't often hear about pineapple tie, you know, like, I mean, chocolate, cherry, tie stick. These are all the commonly spoke about ones. Was pineapple a rare one or is there a bit more of a story behind it than it's just simply a pineapple tie land race? Uh, I'm... The, I got the clone. Um, it's, it's a uh, cut that's been going around Mendocino for quite a few years now. Um, so it came to me as a clone-only strain. And uh, But we're working through I mean, it, it smells and tastes just like pineapples. It's I mean, a strong odor, odor of pineapple. But when I was uh, working it into seed line... There's definitely uh, some haze inside there um, 
that that you know that just that spicy uh i don't know how to describe the haze but the, just that classic haze smell like uh have you ever tried the nl5 haze back in the day or the cough or yeah let's see, this, the dog shit um I know some people disagree with me, and, and I could totally be wrong. But I, I've always thought like the Colorado cough and the Pacific Northwest uh, dog shit it, were all just Northern Light Five Haze, just you know renamed. Um, but it, there was definitely some of that inside there. Uh, big plant um, indoors; it's real light green, uh, but just like I said, a, a strong, strong, ripe pineapple. Um, with with a slight hazy you know aftertaste to it um, makes my mouth water every time just even talking about it right now I'm starting to salivate a little bit <laughs> that's how you know it's a good herb <laughs> so just some of the other strains which kind of caught my eye off you know that were on the front page of the site the UK cheese this is one which doesn't get a mention anymore for the most part and most people are aware, you know, it kind of comes from the skunk number one stock. And I think some people maybe regard it as a bit weaker in potency, like kind of like a bit of a strain of yesteryear, as DJ Short would say. Do you think? People, sure. Do you think people are missing the boat with this one? Uh, you know, again, it's it it it, it, it isn't as potent as, as the weed as today. Um, but man, that you know that flavor to it is just unreal. I mean. So some people are really turned off on it, and some people really like it. Uh, I myself um, really like it, and uh, so that that one um, actually came out really turned out really good with that chem dog because the chem dog uh, gave it a little bit uh, an extra kick to it, add, added some potency, and lightened up the color a little bit on it. But for the most part, it, it's uh, it, reta- it retained all that cheese flavor, and even the structure of the plant is is uh, mostly cheese. But w- with the chem dog, just it, it did add some um, potency, w- which was definitely needed in, in it. But like I don't know that that the taste of that cheese. I mean, I love it. I love it. I can't get enough of it. So, uh, this might sound like a bit of a silly question, but the the exact source of the skunk that the UK cheese comes from a little bit ambiguity because obviously you know skunk's been offered by a lot of different seed banks at a lot of different times do you think it was from the uh you know widely regarded as less ideal sweeter skunk stock or probably from the earlier stuff i think it was from the earlier stuff um the, the 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 later stuff of skunk number one to me always had a uh, perfumey s- uh, smell to it a sweeter perfume um, where where this one is just uh, I mean I've I've never tasted herb like this from anything else it, it's so um, I don't know I don't know it's just it's it's special it's special that the turp profile off of it is just unreal. Yeah, for sure. I remember I had a, a cheese S1 before that was insane, so I can only imagine the original was just the icing on the cake with that. So, something I did want to run by. I noticed not only on the website, but also on my Instagram a fair few times, I've seen lava cake pop up. And what I wanted to ask was, obviously, give us a bit of a rundown on lava cake, but more importantly, what do you think it is about the cookies and chem combo 
that's so alluring to people? Do you think it's purely a hype thing? Because I think it's beyond that. Because I, you know, I think there's too many cookie and chem hybrids that work for people to just be doing it for like a market reason. You know, do you think it works well? And what about them? Do you think blends well together? It, it works well. The um, the chem mail that I, I use uh, is a blank mail, um, meaning the uh, the females completely take over the cross. Uh, rarely do I get in any of like the uh, the chem crosses um, will you get that chem uh, flavor or structure or anything with with the mail that I have that I've been using. Um, so with, with the lava cake, uh, I use the uh, thin mint with that cross. And when I, when I grew all those out, like I got every single pheno of uh, cookies imaginable. I got that short little indica, which is like the OGKB. Um, I got like, you know, the, the lanky one, like the forum. And then I got the, you know, a nice big yielding, um, like the, like the thin mint and then a few others. I think out of, uh, I, I did a big run of them inside of the greenhouse and, and out of all of them, there was only one that ended up being a, a light green, like something that I hadn't seen before. But um, there's definitely some interesting stuff in that lava cake, and and uh, you know the the name. Uh, I, I just uh, had somebody on Instagram pick out the name for me. Um, did like a you know a little contest, but I know there's quite a few different breeders now that actually use that uh, the lava cake name. Um, I don't know if, if I, I don't know if they used it first or I did. It's it, it's. There's so many breeders out there, it's hard to keep track of now, of, of all the different names. Uh, it's, it's almost easier just to go with, uh, instead of naming a strain, just just write down the lineage of what it is and, and let it be that. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. The last thing I wanted to kind of probe into in regards to the lava was, you say it uses the Thin Mint Cut. This is of curiosity to me because, you know, of all the people we've asked on the show, we still can't really get a solid ruling on what the Thin Mint is, if it was the original, how does it differ to the forum, really? And, you know, overall, what do you think Cookies is? Uh, definitely OG. Definitely has some kind of OG, I think. Um, I think any, uh, you know, my, I think any new strain out now um, to, to meet the... Uh, you know, modern day criteria of, you know, their potency and all this stuff. I think it all need, all has to have a little OG mixed into it to, to get that, that potency up to, to today's, you know, um, up to par to, to today's weed. So, uh, definitely, definitely some cookie or, uh, OG inside there. The whole, uh, Durban thing. Um, yeah, I, I don't buy that one bit, uh, I don't see any bit of Durban inside there at all. I've grown out every single seed company there was that had Durban, and they all have a very strong, uh, what is it, terpenaline, um, fluffy buds. You know, outdoors, they would always finish extremely early. But, uh, yeah, I I don't know. And and I've I've talked to the cookie guys before, and each one kind of gives me a different story. So I don't even think they know. <laughs> oh, man, that was the other question. Can we trust anything that comes out of Camp Cookie Fam? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I, I, I trust uh, CSI Humble. I trust Not So Dog. 
<laughs> that's about it. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. And, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't keep track to, to all these people out now or, or uh, anything like that. So I've, yeah. I've been, uh, I've been fed a lot of bullshit. I've been fed a lot of fake cuts uh, and a lot of fake ass seeds. So it's kind of just left me to this point where uh, I do my thing. Um, I, I enjoy talking to Inspecta about breeding and this, that, and the other. Uh, you know, we have we have uh, different taste buds and herb, uh, but you know, it works out well. Um, I, I can run stuff off of him, and, and uh, you know, he, he does he does the homework and finds out you know about this, that, and the other. So it's it's always nice to pick his brain and, and see what's what, but you know, grow, growing out all the Durbins that, yeah, I don't, I don't see that one bit inside the cookies. Um, yeah, you know, I, I've, I've grown strains in the past, uh, uh, some Dutch stuff that had cookies profile, you know, little buds, lanky, lanky, uh, plants. Um, but as, as for the, uh, the genetic makeup of of the cookies, I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with like everything you said there, especially the derb and having been able to smoke a bit of it myself and see the growth structure of it and whatnot. I think it's totally overrated. Like the the percentage of what people say it could be in there, and another little funny little side note, like when you said I uh, you enjoy talking to inspector, you know he does his homework. I was like, that's that. I remember I made that exact comment to him at um, Emerald Cup, and he just looks at me and goes, "Do you ever wonder why they call me Inspector?" And he just walks off. Laughs <just laughs> so hard. Yeah, he does his homework. So I guess to summarize it all up, you know, we've speculated on the genetics of cookies, and we were talking about cookies and chem. What is your speculation on the genetics of chem? The uh, the chem. Yeah, what do you what do you reckon? Uh, definitely, you know, after, after growing out those Hermes seeds that I had gotten from Skunk VA, uh, you know, I, I think some kind of it's definitely a hodgepodge of stuff. Um, definitely see that like a Pakistani style something in there, some kind of indica. Uh, but you know, who knows? Who knows? Okay. So another strain from kind of the old school, which no one can really give me too much info on, but I got a hunch you're going to be the one to do it. Old Betsy, can you give us any story on her? Uh, old Betsy came from uh, a buddy of mine from Overgrow. He went by Budgular. Uh, he had brought the Betsy up to Humboldt back in the early 2000s. Um, from what information i gathered it's the same guy that did the hog's breath and the bull rider who was also did the uh the old betsy and you know i've, I've asked around um and, and just like you know breeding with it seeing the different stuff that pops up i kind of believe the white widow maybe super skunk cross or something like that uh but again, you know, this is all speculation. But I, I think um, for sure the White Widow, I've grown out quite a few White Widows in, in the past and, and kind of see that in it. Um, but again, uh, I think whoever was growing it a long time ago is long gone. And, and 
it's going to be another one of those mystery plants that, you know, maybe when Phylos gets enough uh, stuff gathered up, they'll be able to tell us in the future. Yeah, okay. And what's it like as a, as a smoke, you know? What's the flavor? What's the high? Um, so, a, a lot of the uh, a lot of my breeding um, the past 10 years has been for commercial outdoor. Uh, so... The Betsy, um, very pungent, this like rotten mango or maybe like a baby ate a ton of mangoes and then shit them out. You know, <laughs> I, it, it's funky and, and the smell, it's, it's got a really, really strong uh, uh, turp profile to it. Uh, the thing I really liked about it was um, how quick, how fast it finished outside. It's usually about October 5th for us over here. Uh, October 5th to like, uh, you know, if you wanted to, I, I guess maybe October 15th, the latest, latest. Nah. Uh, October 5th to about October 8th is usually when I cut it. Um, big, big, big yielder, very hardy. And, and the, just the, uh, the, the, the turp profile on it. Um, that stuff can sit for a solid year and when you open it up it's just going to stink like it did from day one uh, I've, I've had people you know take that over OG um, they they loved it they love it um, it's, it's a good it's a good daytime smoke uh, pre- pretty pretty heavy duty um, what else but again more more for the outdoor uh, is, is what I started working. It's got, you know, for, for outdoor, there's certain types of herb that, um, when done right outside has an indoor look to it. Uh, Betsy being one of those, um, a lot of breeder Steve stuff from back in the day, uh, had some really nice, uh, would have a really nice like indoor look to it. There's one, uh, a blockhead that I've been working for several, several years now from him. Um, that, that, I mean, it, it, for the longest times, so like when the dispensaries first started opening up out here, I was taking it in and passing it off as indoor and they were loving it and they were taking it and giving me top dollar all the time for it. Uh, so, so the Betsy's another one like that. It's just, it's just got that, that look, um, to it. Um, it's got the it's got the nose to it and it's got the structure to it uh, so it was one you know I, I couldn't let it pass up so I, I worked that into uh, back uh, in, inbred line I guess um, just kept on back crossing it and, and uh, it's it's a winner for sure it's a winner it, it, the, the name of it um, turns a lot of people off so most most times uh, I've, I've seen it being passed off as Oregon blueberry or mango Kush. Um, There's a couple of other names, but again, it was just it was, it was a cash cropper back then for the indoor, and it's a cash cropper now for the outdoor. And I mean, and it does great inside as well. But that's cool. So. When you kind of take a look overall at 707's offerings as a seed bank, it seems to me on face value, it's pretty evenly split down the middle in terms of kind of like sativa and indicas. I mean, I guess you could argue a little more indica leaning with, you know, some of the chem hybrids. But overall, you know, was that kind of intentional? Did you look to cater to both sides of the market or is it really just about you? 
it, it's uh yeah i hate to say it, but it, it's all it's just uh, what i like and, and I, I tend to go more towards the indicas but you know i do like a little bit of sativa here and there not not anything super heavy sativa like um what is it like the genius from brother grimm's the actual genius clone i mean Right. That that thing just just makes my head spin. I start hearing things on the walls. And <laughs> so, <laughs> That's like all I want to smoke. <laughs> the pure sativas, huh? Oh, genius! I remember when I got to smoke genius, I just exhaled and just within about five seconds, I just looked at Sol and was just like, "This is my new favorite plant." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember the, the the first time I I grew the genius and and flowered it out. I. I uh, I had harvested it, had it in my garage, and then uh, left, came back a couple hours later, and I, I had thought somebody had thrown up in my house and <laughs> like didn't clean it up. It, uh, that smell was just like, wow, it was something else. I love that smell and the, yes. and the, the taste of it, but uh, it, it just makes my head spin. Yeah, it's just too much, and, and my head already go. I'm um, you know I already go a thousand miles per per minute here, and. and uh, I don't need anything else to increase that. You know, I need something to calm me down. Yeah, okay. So I guess it would be safe to say overall you're definitely more into your indicas than sativas? More more indica hybrids, yeah. I, I definitely like the blend, you know. Pure, pure indicas, of course, you know, they lay me out. Um, I got an army of kids, so it's it's pretty hard to function if, if, I, if I smoke too much of those things. So uh, I, I, I like uh, a nice blend, nice hybrids of... Uh, I guess, but more, I guess, I guess more indica dominant. Yeah, for sure. So a little while back, you mentioned that you were reversing the males. And in fact, you did it for all of your males that you were going to like kind of green light. We've had people talk about this process, but no one's ever really, you know, said that they've actually really done it. Would you be able to give us a bit of a run through of what it's like? And more importantly, what's the bud like when you smoke it? And does it give like a real true representation of the male or is it more just kind of hinting things to you? uh it, it uh I, i'd never smoked it before it's the, the the stuff i use is called florel and um it's a bare product so it, it's it's definitely <laughs> really toxic uh so yeah like i mean w- when i spray the plants um you know i'll, I'll spray them outside and, and then i don't even touch the plant um for a good while so it's, it's one of those things i don't really like telling people use it because uh you know if, most people are stoners and they're just going to spray it without any kind of covering or, or a respirator or anything like that. And it, you know, I'm, I don't know what it could do to you, but I know it's toxic. I know, uh, it's banned in Europe. So, I mean, that, that says a lot right there, you know? Uh, but what, what you get off of it is, uh, the turp profiles. You can definitely, you know, since I'm, I'm always after, you know, a certain turp profile, this it, I can weed out all the shit that I don't want anymore, you know. Uh, and then when I was able to take them to the labs, uh, you know, you could get it tested for potency and whatnot. And it gives you, you know, a slight little idea. But it, when you reverse it, it just, it just produces, I mean, I guess I've had some strains that actually produce a, a nugget. But most times, it's just like a little seed calyx. And, uh... You know, just and it just goes up the stem, kind of like that. Uh, what's that string? Gr- Green spoon, Grim spoon, or something like that. Yeah, Doctor Green spoon. Yeah, it, it turns out similar to that uh, in structure, but you, you can get the terp profile, which is what I'm after all the time, and uh, 
you know, it, it cuts out all the guesswork and breeding. Um, there was just recently a, a uh, post by Mr. Bob Hemphill where he has, was, I think it was just yesterday actually, um, where he had posted a, a thing where he had gotten some Ohawkin uh, seeds or something like that. And he only ended up with one male. Uh, huh. So in that you know, in that case, he could he could reverse that male, pollinate itself, and now you're able to get both male. When you when you reverse a, a male and make male S ones, most people would think you're getting all male seeds, but the uh, the male carries both chromosomes, the X and the Y, so you get both male and f- female seeds. So you know, in that case, you know, since he didn't, wasn't able to get any females or anything like that, now you're able to. He can reverse the male, pollinate itself, and you know, go through the seeds. And now you have both male and female seeds. And uh, I've I've done that with uh, like the cat piss before, where I've made uh, you know male S ones, I guess you would call it, and uh, grew those seeds out. And I read a thing on. Uh, where Sam the skunk man said, you know, do you get a certain percentage of male, certain percentage of female, this, that, and the other, but, uh, I ended up pretty much, no, I ended up with a pretty much a 50, 50 split, you know, the same amount of females as males when when I did it. Um, yeah, I remember that article. You said it was uh 25% male, 25% female, 50% her. Yeah. Yeah, and then again, I think that's uh, strain dependent. Are are you working with a Hermie or or not? The uh, the catpiss that I have, it, it's it's stable, it's strong. Uh, I've never seen any kind of intersex with it or anything. And, and even with the seeds, there there was no herms whatsoever uh, when, when I had did the male S one project. And and uh, again, it was it was a good split, you know, fifty fifty. I mean, I, I, everything sounds great in theory, but. Man, you, you don't really know what you're gonna get until you grow them out. You know, not not all males cross the same. You know, that's why I, you know I'll, I'll, when I pick out all my males, I do one male to one female. Uh, you know, and, th- and now I can grow all those out and, and pinpoint exactly what male is doing what. Uh, like and like I was saying with the, like the OG thing. Uh, you know, I, f- I found a few males that smelled like OG. You know, completely like OG. But when I would cross it back to the SFV, it would get this watered down carbon. It, 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 a lot of them turn out like the fire OG. Really, really frosty, but just not much flavor and taste to it at all. Yeah, okay. So I guess the thing which comes to mind then is um, uh, with, in regards to these seeds, do you think there is anything valuable to be gained in them, like these male seeds, or do you think it's more of just a novelty thing? Uh, if you're wanting to go deep inside, you know, inside of what it is to see what, uh, you know, what, what kind of heritage it might have had or, or something like that. Sure. I, I think it could be valuable or, you know, and, and, and like Mr. Bob Hemp Hill's situation where he only has one male and that's it and no other seeds. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, reverse that sucker and, 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 uh, you know, you're gonna get both male and female seeds out of out of it, and, and now you're able, you know, go deeper inside of it, see what's going on in there. Um, yeah. The re- Sorry, go. On. The, the, the the reversing of the males it, it 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 cuts out all the guesswork for for the most part. You know, 
So there, there's no more questioning, you know, what is this going to do? I mean, you, you never know what it's going to do, but you can always pick out the, uh, the, uh, the terpene profile or here, here's a great example. Um, a few years back, uh, I want to do a CBD line. So I had bought a bunch of, uh, seeds online, CBD. I remember there's some like reefer man stuff and, and some other people's stuff. So I grew them all out, um, reversed all the males, took all the males to the lab to see, you know, what kind of percentage, what things had. None of the seeds that I had bought had any CBD. They all came back THC. Huh. Right. So, I mean, like situations like that, you know, it's, it, it saved me, uh, quite a few, quite a bit of time. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's questionable. <laughs> so, uh, I noticed when you reverse a female, the female plant itself tends to not really want to accept the pollen and, and form any S1s on itself. But I'm pretty confident I noticed when I was looking a little closer at some of your photos of the males that it looked like it, it was making seeds on itself. Is that the case? And and why do you think there is this difference? Um, well, when reversing the females... I guess a lot of times when you're when you're spraying it with the silver nitrate or whatever, uh, you know, you're, you're burning up the uh, the pistols. So, um, you know, I, I I don't know, I don't know. I, I was thinking about it, but uh, I don't know. Uh, with the, with the males, it's every time I reverse them, it seeds itself. Uh, and, and that's one of like the downfalls of when I would take it to the lab because the, the seeds and, and the stem and all that bring the testing way down. So people are always asking me like, you know, what, what kind of numbers are you getting from your males? And I'm like, you know, it's only like 12 to 14 percent. But, you know, most of that sample is is seed and stem. You know, there's there's very little uh, calyxes or to, to test off of. Yeah. OK. And so. With the male traits that you're assessing when you reverse it, let's just say you know you you're smelling the terpene profile. Have you found that what it expresses in the female reverse trait is what it will pass on in its pollen? Most times, yeah, yeah, the the majority of the time, yeah. Cool. Well, that's pretty reassuring. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, not in every case, but but most times, yeah, it it does pass off. Uh, it, you know the traits that pass off to the female most males in, in my case i guess have uh, usually take over the cross um you know when you when you find a blank male uh it, it's it's really something special and hold on that sucker tight when, when you know the females completely take over the cross uh th- those are the real special ones that um and, and I don't out of, out of thousands and thousands of males you know, I've only found like one or two in my life do that yeah of course and it kind of plays into the idea of i've been thinking about this for a while that people buy strains predominantly for the female yeah absolutely absolutely um you know when when i was buying uh seeds you know the, the description sold me uh and you know nine out of the ten times uh you might find one seed out of the pack that would actually be what the description is <laughs> so that, that's that's why I, I like the back crossing and stabilizing uh you know if, if, if you're reading my description 
that's what you're going to get. You're not going to get one out of 10, you know, every single seed of, of the heavily worked lines that I have is coming out exactly what I say it's going to be, you know, like the Betsy's, they're all turning out how uh, it's described, you know, the cat piss, every single one comes out, these short little indica uh, cat piss, you know, um, no variation. And, and so like uh, for doing commercial outdoor, it was, uh, you know, I wanted to be able to grow out, um, let's say like, you know, 10, 10 seeds and every single one turn out exactly the same to where, uh, you know, you can mix the different plants together and no one's going to know a difference. You know, uh, if, if like if I'm buying a pack of seeds from somebody else uh, and, and, you know, I'm growing them out and I got three or four different kind of phenos, uh, the end user isn't going to be happy if I call it all one thing when there's three different, you know, flavors out of it. So that, that was uh, the big driving force behind the uh, making the outdoor seeds is, is just having that consistency. Um, you know, obviously the seed's going to get twice the yield as a clone is and, uh, you know, a lot more resistant to pests and mold and whatnot. So. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, just kind of slotting this one in there, would you ever consider offering any feminized work? Uh, I, I love feminized seeds. I, I love feminized seeds. Um, I make them for myself. Uh, I, I do it more for preservation of, of clones that I want to let go. You know, I'll, I'll feminize, make uh, S1s, and uh, put them in the vault. The thing I've found with, you know, a, a lot of the... You know, when you're making an S1 of one strain, um, it doesn't generally turn out as well as if you uh, make a hybrid with S, you know, um, make feminized hybrids. Those usually turn out much better than actual the uh, when, when making the S1. But, uh, you know, I got them in the vault. So in 20 years from now, if I want to grow, you know, this, that, or the other, I can always just bust them out and sprout them. And, and uh, I'm sure, you know, out of out of 10 or 20 seeds, you're going to find exactly what you're looking for. But uh, as of offering them to the public, I don't even know. I don't even know what the future of 707 Seed Bank has. Uh, the, uh, like I said, this, it was, Breeding has always been my passion. It's been my hobby. And uh, now kind of bringing it into a into the uh, market zone, you know, I'm always scared it's going to uh, cloud my judgment a little bit. Like, you know, uh, everyone wants this purple punch or, or a wedding cake or this, that, or the other. And, you know, I've, I've smoked purple punch a few times and uh, there was no punch to it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> It was just purple. It tasted good, but there was definitely no punch. So, but that's that's what it seems like the market wants. They all want these uh, whatever Jungle Boys is growing is what what they want. The reason, the reason why, why I, um, ask, I ask, ask about, about the fan work, work is because. because I noticed, I noticed that, that in Lemon, Lemon Dog, Dog, you breed with a Lemon Tree S1. S1. And, so and so I think if, if you're willing, willing to breed with, with a fantasy, fantasy, surely you're willing, willing to sell them, right? right? Sure, sure. Yeah, that that uh, that that lemon tree S one. Um, I have a buddy who was uh, the lemon tree guys' distributor when they first 
came out. And, you know, as, as he was moving the packs, he would always find a couple seeds inside each pack and saved them. And he wasn't, gro- he wasn't grown at the time. He, he does now, but, uh, he gave me, um, all, all the lemon tree Hermes seeds he had found. And, uh, I grew them all out. Uh, you know, and like, like I said, with the S ones, you know, a good half of them turn out to be like duds or just really weak grown or whatnot. Uh, that lemon tree, it's, it, you know, it's got that citrusy kind of Calio, uh, uh, you know, turp profile. Um, and, and, you know, the, most of those tangies and stuff like that for me, uh, doesn't get me all that high tastes great. You know, a couple joints are good, but after that, it's just like, uh, it doesn't do nothing. So the, the lemon tree, you know, seems to be a little bit more potent than uh, the majority of the uh, citrusy strains that, that I've worked, but it's that flavor on it is just so mouthwatering, so flavorful. And, and uh, it, it does pack a, a good, good punch. Uh, but, you know, like, like uh, most S ones, it's, it's, it's kind of a bitch to grow, uh, has a real weak, weak uh, root system to it. Um, same thing with the, uh, I use a, uh, snowman, um, S one, which is from the cookie guys. Uh, one of the ones that they've kind of held down more on a, uh, uh, they, they've held that one down pretty good. They didn't let it go at all. But, uh, uh again, with that, the, the snowman also weak roots, uh, very finicky to grow, but, a lot of these uh, S ones, you know, like like the SFE, I, I, I want to be surprised that if that wasn't a Hermie seed, even though I've, I've never seen OG Hermie on me, any of them indoors. But uh, I imagine, you know, that's where most of all these cuts came out from. But uh, you know, weak weak root system, but awesome, flavorful, flavorful herb. You know, I can't I can't let that stuff pass up when it when it's that good. <laughs> Is this the same lemon tree S one which I think Swamp Boys have used in a hybrid or two? Uh, not the same cut. No. Uh, most the the lemon tree guys stopped by my booth at the Emerald Cup uh, last year, and and I've heard this from other people before, uh, and they said that they've never given out the actual clone, and everybody that does have a lemon tree. Uh, cut is comes from you know a, a seed that they found uh inside inside their bag so uh the swamp boy guys also uh uh they found their own seed um and, and uh grew theirs out I, I haven't seen uh i haven't seen or smoked their lemon tree at all but uh d- different so everybody's got a different one I, i've i've shared my cut out with a few people i know i gave it to archive uh, and a couple other folks, but not not too many. So it's definitely not out there at all. Ah, is that the one he used in the creation of the lemon peel line? Who used lemon peel? Or what's lemon peel? I think it's uh, lemon tree cross something from Archive. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. If, if uh, Archive have it, it was uh, the cut of lemon tree that I gave him. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, no, I've tried... Um I think it was called Lemon Drop or something. One of the hybrids he made 
with so he made a hybrid with lemon tree and then crossed that to other things and so i got to try the end product one of them and it was really good it was really good so, did that citrusy fun come out into the cross or um well I don't know because I also tried lemon tree at uh, Mr. Bob Hemphill's place and that sounds much more like what you're talking about. Whereas the one I tried from Archive was just a really nice lemon hybrid and I could definitely see that lemon tree was in there. I could believe it, I should say. But um, kind of what you're talking about is definitely like what I tried at Bob Hemphill's house. Oh, right on. So what did you think of the lemon tree? I really liked it, but I found there was something a little bit obnoxious about it. It was like obnoxious lemon, like it was, um, and it's not like the way he grew it or anything. I think it's just a my personal preference thing, but I definitely see what you mean when you say like there's a Calio vibe to it because it's almost like not a bang on lemon. It's like a very tart lemon. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I personally don't get any lemon out of it. Yeah, we, it's, it's not like the way some OGs are bang on lemon. It's not like that lemon in my opinion at all. Right, right, yeah. I feel I feel the same way. To me, it's more uh, uh, like an orangey, but um, everyone likes the lemon now. I guess the, the name's uh, pretty popular. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting cut nonetheless. So it spurs the question to mind for me, though. I've seen people breeding with S2s. Is that something you were interested in? Like not necessarily breeding with an S2, but like digging to that generation and doing that type of thing or not necessarily? Oh, oh absolutely. Um I don't, I don't think there's, you know, th there's no right or wrong way in, in breeding. Uh, if you if you have a goal in, in mind, uh, you know, just go for it. Try it out. If it doesn't work, try a different way. You know, not not all strains are going to breed the same. Not, you know, what might work with one strain might not work with another. So uh, any kind of tool that I could use, I use it. S1s, uh, S2s, reversing males. Uh, you know, the the one 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 thing uh, I've noticed with reversing males, uh, and it's it's something that I I still do to this day is uh, the stem rub. You know, before I reverse a male, I'll go through all my males and I'll rub the stem, and you know, I'll I'll, I'll pick out what I think is going to be the killer stud of, of the group, and you know, I'll label those. Not once has one of those males been the, the, the keeper stud. It's usually the one off in the far corner. So with that stem rub thing, uh, I've noticed maybe 5% of plants, that stem rub actually comes through to the flower. But for the most part, that stem rub doesn't mean shit. Uh, whatever smell you're getting off that stem rub, it's going to come out completely different to the flower. Uh, uh, so yeah. that that's what you know. Another cool thing with the reversing of the males, just finding these little little things. But whatever, any kind of tool, um, whatever I could do to reach my end goal is, you know, I'll use it. The uh, I don't have uh, any problems with uh, with S ones, S twos, and actually I think uh, to make a strain tighter and to breed like to breed a pure, you know, a real F one. I think you do need to go to S2, S3, S4, um, you know, and, and then cross that to something else that has also been taken that far and, and you know, to get that true, that true hybrid figure. And that was another reason why I did the, uh, I like the back crossing. Um, 
to, uh, you know, back cross the hell out of it to where every seed comes out exactly the same. And then I'll cross those back to, you know, a different strain that I did the same thing with in hopes to get a true, you know, full on vigor, you know, hybrid. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing I kind of think of is what are some other little tips and tricks you may have for uh, selecting a male? The reversing of the male. I, I I pick out everything from there. Uh, you, I, I like when, when I sprout my seeds and stuff like that. I'll, I'll automatically uh, call off anything that's weak or or uh, doesn't doesn't fit my bill, uh, growing wise. So I, I just keep all the best ones, and, and then from there I'll start reversing them, and, and, and then pick it that way. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. I think the thing which comes to mind most when you mention that the you know the how shall we say the unreliability of the stem rub is um, our most recent guest, Mass Strains. He said that something he had noticed, which wasn't exactly what you said, but it very much was following that train of thought, was that he said, uh, don't put too much stock in a single stem rub because if you do the stem rubs consistently over a long period of time, it changes wildly. And so, yeah, if you just stem rub on any old day, like who knows what that really means. Right, right. Uh, like I said, only uh, like the, the cat piss will actually the, the the smell will come off on this on the stem rub, and a lot of those uh, that tangy like the lemon tree and that those citrusy strains, uh, the stem rub will actually translate to the flower, you know. But the, the every other strain I've ever tried, um, not even close, nowhere near close. So, this is maybe a bit of a weird kind of far-fetched concept, but I really like the idea of it where basically an old idea DJ Short put forward was that he always said he found crosses worked a little better when the more sativa of the two plants was the mother. Have you ever found anything like that or found any of your own little kind of weird rules that seem to work like that? Um, no. Uh, you know, like not, not, all, not all strains are going to mix and match the same. Uh, you know, so, sometimes like... Like uh, SFV, if if you cross uh, anything to the actual SFV clone, it's almost guaranteed the potency goes up. Uh, if you cross anything to my cat piss clone, um, that cat piss smell just does not go through. It just doesn't. It just doesn't translate to the crosses. Uh, and I I just uh, maybe about a year or two ago, I made a bunch of cat piss crosses where I actually use. Uh, a male from a cat piss and, and cross it to a bunch of stuff. And it was kind of weird. Anything that like had Hermy tendencies, um, it, it, it just brought it right out. Like anything, uh, uh, the chem 91 Hermy hella bad. The, the girl scout cookies Hermy really bad. Uh, but strains that didn't really have any Hermy tendencies were, were perfectly fine, which was totally weird. Uh, I, I, I stress all my males out for a good long time. Uh, Usually just because I'm, I'm not home and able to use them, but uh, I'll, I'll be gone for like, you know, a good season and then finally come back and get to them. And, you know, they're kept in little tiny cups, uh, you know, half dead. And, and if some of them sometimes will start spitting out hairs and crystals and at that point, uh, you know, off to the mulch pile they go. But, you know, if, if they if they can survive me being absent for that long then I know I got a keeper, you know. So yeah, there's some sure. uh, strong genetics in there. So 
what are some of the next crosses you're looking at working on? Uh, I'm, I'm still working on my SFE. Uh, currently got a, um, a seed run going on that. Uh, I've been working that uh, Spice of Life blockhead clone for quite a few years, but more, more of an outdoor uh, project. So when I breed for outdoors uh, versus indoors, I, I do completely different things. For my for outdoor breeding, uh, I'll, I'll leave all my males outside until the very end. Uh, see, you know what's going to flower first and under the natural light, uh, growth structure, this, that, or the other, and you know for for outside, uh, like right now, I'm working. I'm trying to finish up my blockhead this year. It uh, the blockhead I used uh, the same Jacks cleaner for the Kush cleaner for my original cross. Uh, I back crossed it twice to the clone, but the clone would do this thing outside to where like the very tip of the plant would die off or just one branch would die off on it. And without fail, like it, you know, it did it every year, just the clone. And when I started back crossing it, I started noticing it was actually going through into the, uh, into the seed. I don't know. I, I still don't know what it is. So then I started, uh, you know, making F2s, F3s, F4s with it, uh, breeding that part of it out. So for, for you know, outdoor seed, uh, especially with this blockhead, I, you know, I picked my, this year, I, I took clones off all the males and, and just let them all do their thing outside. And then I picked out uh, several of the earliest ones to start flowering. Um, got those, you know, set aside. And then, uh, uh, you know, take cuts off of the females that are the earliest, um, that are the ones that are starting to flower first. So that's where I'm at right now. I got clones of everybody set aside. The males, uh, I'll reverse them come this winter inside to see, you know, which one's got the turp profile I want. And uh, from there, then next season, uh, you know, during during winter, hopefully I'll have enough time to uh, – you know, cr- cross the males to the females that I like, and then I'll test them out next year and, and see what see what happens or, you know, wh- which stud worked the best and carry on from there doing it that way. Sounds but good. I, yeah, after the blockhead, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've wanted the roadkill skunk, but I, I just think that thing is goner. Um, I've, I've spent tens of thousands of dollars on fake seeds, cuts, uh, driven all over America to find cuts. People say they have the cuts, you know, uh, usually they're just trying to trade for the stuff that I got and they give me something, you know, completely off. And, uh, but I, I don't, uh, I'd, I'd like to work CBD. I'd like to make some CBD lines, but I'm just, uh, I, I got a bunch of these Panama CBD that Mr. Bob Hemphill gave me. I like to work those, but as of right now, the uh, the labs are all cut off to me. They, w- they won't let me take anything in to get tested. So until I can find a testing facility, I'm I'm kind of put on hold with the CBDs. Uh, I was even thinking about you know doing some hemp lines. Um, I think that might be a thing in the future. But uh, really, after the the SFV. If, if I can ever get that thing right, I've, I've, I've been 
going back to it um, for years and years, just uh, thinking I got it right, grew out the seeds. It's not what I've been looking for, so I start over. And we'll, we'll see what happens with that one. But I don't really have uh, much more in the works than what I've already done. Um, yeah, okay. I think, uh, yeah. One thing I wanted to ask in relation to the seed thing quickly was, when you do your pheno hunting, or maybe more specifically when you're testing lines you create, how many seeds do you like to pop at any one time? As many as I can. Is uh, uh, let's just put it this way: I got chased out of Trinity County by the police, and when they came over to my property, they said that they were they would have loved to arrest me, but they didn't have the manpower to cut down my gardens. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as much as I can that's a good answer and so in general how important is it do you think that people do engage in the whole kind of art of pheno hunting absolutely uh, uh, 100% you know just what, what you want to find the new new or, or something that you know is special to your heart or to your, to your taste buds uh got to pop seeds or we're just going to be stuck with this purple punch forever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. So something I surprisingly haven't asked yet, you mentioned earlier, you know, you did the whole rock wool slab thing. Do you grow organically now? And what style of growing do you use in general? Uh, I grow, uh, I do everything, um, for outdoor. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent, uh, organic. I keep my soil completely organic, like no, no liquid bottles, nothing in the plastic ever will touch my soil. But I do foliar spray with, uh, you know, certain bottle nutrients. So that that's, uh, but for, you know, head stash, um, I was doing uh, organics, mixing all my amendments. Uh, but then I found a, a super soil that they make out of, out of, out in uh, Oregon, and I think they use the Dragonfly Earth Medicine. Is that the name of those guys? Yep, yep. I think they use their stuff inside the soil. Uh, works great. I just dump a bag, you know, a bag of it inside of a pot and plant, and I'm good to go. Just straight water. Uh, but you know, th- that term organic. Uh, you know, I use drip lines, so I, I know a lot of people will tell me it's not organic because I'm using plastic drip lines or whatnot. And, and, uh, but, and then for indoor, um, I, I, I learned with general hydroponics and Rockwell. And then, uh, later in life I did go to all soil. Um, I, I had done organics. I, I tried, uh, aquaponics before with the guppies and, uh, ended up just killing all these fish over and over again. So I stopped that. That was pretty hard. Uh, I've done NFT. I've done aeroponics. Uh, but for, for, and really I'll, I'll just use whatever's free to me. Uh, there was a, a company growth science. Um, they sent me like a good, like six month of, of fertilizer. So I, I use that for indoor, uh, the past year. And then, um, yeah, it just depends on the situation, where I'm at, and what I'm after, pretty much. Yeah, okay. I mean, it makes sense, right? So, do you ultimately prefer organic? I mean, you kind of alluded when you said head stash. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, definitely for smoke. Like, uh, 
herb grown in rock wool has uh, a certain look to it and o- like always has that same kind of certain look to it and, and a certain flavor to it. it. It definitely sticks out to me. I could, I could pick it out uh, like night and day. Uh, organics by far for head stash always turns out the nicest, the, te- the tastiest for me. Um, but for outdoor, you know, like outdoor production, it's just not cost efficient. It, it just doesn't work out. It's, it's not like uh, you, d- you don't get that extra buck because it's organic. And not only that, most times uh, your yield will go down just a slight bit. But for the most, uh, I-, I like to do that Tom Hill mix uh, out- outside. And then, you know, I'll also, as-, as a base, it's really good. Chicken shit, bone meal, um, oyster, can't really go wrong with it. Solid. It's, it's been proven. Um, it's proven test of time with with those old school Humboldt growers. They've been they've been using that Stutzman's forever. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And it even flows through into a lot of the no till recipes today. So, something I get asked a lot of questions about, but sadly I don't really have a lot of answers for, is when in regards to being an outdoor grower, what are some of your tips for getting the plants big? Do you like to veg them indoors? Do you do like some light depth thing or how do you get them nice and big in veg? Uh, start from a seed, a seed, seed always. Um, uh, I, I start my seeds about the middle of March. I'll get them big inside. And then from there I'll put them into a greenhouse. And then from there they go outside. So by the time they're actually reached their hole or their pot or, you know, whatever style it's going in, uh, they're already like a good three to four feet, you know, and then from there, then you just, uh, just let it do its thing. Give it water, give it sunshine. It's good to go. I mean, it's a plant, you know, it's a weed. This stuff just grows like crazy. And so do you have a dedicated IPM regime or how do you deal with pests when they arise? Uh, I don't really uh, deal with much pests. I'm, I'm, uh, everything's pretty clean inside uh, before they even go outside. Uh, so, I mean, I don't, I don't do much uh, spraying for anything like that. And if uh, I, I have been battling, um, what is it, scales. For, for a while now, uh, I try ladybugs, this, that, or the other, but I, I just I just can't shake them right now. I don't know what the deal is with those things. They're kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, one thing you may or may not be experienced with, how do you feel about revegging cuts? And more specifically, do you feel like it causes any damage to the cutting? Uh, so, when I was growing train wreck i didn't keep mothers of it i just went uh i I just took cuts right when uh the plant would flip i I would take cuts off of uh, off the clones and i did that for about a three for three years straight with that train wreck and i i never really noticed a difference and then with re-vegging plants, uh i I re-veg my seeds all the time um just to save space like if i don't have enough space to take clones off of everybody uh even with the females you know i'll I'll just grow them out if i like one of them uh you know i just cut cut half of it down and then put the rest of it back in the veg room and and let it you know re-veg back out but 
I'm sure if you kept doing it over and over and over again for years and years, yeah, you'd, you'd notice a difference, but I, I've never noticed a difference off of uh, doing it myself. Yeah, okay. So it's going to seem a little weird question, but I definitely want to run this one by you, especially in light of our Purple Punch comments. You know, a lot of people in general, when they talk about purple strains, there's kind of this undertone of like how, you know, purple weed is always weak. And it seems to be, you know, an idea that comes up again and again. Do you kind of agree with that in general? Or do you just think it's the purple strains that are currently around are just maybe not the most potent? Uh, no, I, th- I think uh, purple weed and that like Calio type, uh, that citrusy kind of herb has always been weak. There's there's a, fr- a certain few that pop out every now and then that that are really good, like the purple Urkel. I mean, that thing's potent. It's strong. It knocks me out. Uh, but then again, purple Urkel is, is one of those purple strains where you need the cold to make it really purple out. Um, but I think generally, I don't, you know, most purple herb uh, is generally on the weaker side. Yeah, understandable. So, a few little legal questions before we get into the tail end of things. How do you feel that the industry is going to evolve in light of the legal changes that came to pass with uh, Prop 64? And do you feel that it is the impending death of the mum and pop business? Yeah. Yeah, I hate to say it, but yeah, I I think it's it's the end of quality herb quality genetics uh there's gonna be a, a lot of I, I don't i don't i don't see people smoking weed really in 20 years i, I feel like they're all just gonna go to the pen I, I think uh the flowers is just gonna be a thing in the past but you know that, that's just my personal opinion i, I think there, there'll always be that little uh uh you know connoisseur group like like the micro brew but for the most part, uh, I, th- I think the whole cannabis culture and the mom and pop thing, uh, California has definitely killed it and are, is trying very, very hard to uh, end it and, and just pretty much let this uh, a massive corporate takeover pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So do you think that... Uh with those changes, all of the kind of cultural events like the cups and, um, you know, harvest parties and things like that will kind of forever be different or it'll still survive? The the events are done. I feel like I think the, the, they're going to be completely finished. Uh, you know, the, the, the uh, Humboldt County's dwindling away. I mean, even, even property values out there, you know, land that was selling for a million or two million a few years ago isn't even selling for 300,000 now it's, it's uh you know they, they killed it humble county's doing this thing if if you're growing without a permit right now they send you a letter and they'll give you a couple days to cut down your garden and if you don't cut it down within those days you're going to get a, a fine for $10,000 a day that every day your garden's up so I mean, ten grand a day—it it made a lot of people shut down, and and a lot of people got those letters already up up over there. So that that's you know, 
they're 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 going to turn in Humboldt County into a ghost town. I mean, the whole the whole Emerald Triangle is probably going to become a ghost town in, in a while. Property values are just completely plummeting. Uh, the the harvest parties, uh, you know, th- those will always be around. There's always going to be that small group of people, you know, who's all stoked. And you want to share your flowers at the end of the year, you know. So you smoke mine, I want to smoke some of yours. Let's you know, let's talk, see what's good, you know. So I don't see that ever going away, but uh, the whole cannabis culture thing, I think, is uh, definitely dying out very fast. Yeah. So, I mean, in the previous question, you alluded to, you know, the connoisseur market. Do you think that'll almost become synonymous with the black market? Yeah. I mean, you know, just like Colorado – uh, and all the other states that I legalized beforehand, the laws are going to, are going to, you know, they're working it out. So they're constantly going to be changing. So who knows? Maybe, uh, they'll, they'll throw us little guys a bone here and, uh, not make it so rough. Uh, maybe they'll, they'll cut down on the, on these crazy taxes. Uh, maybe some of these landlords that are trying to charge ridiculous prices for warehouses are going to realize, you know, they're just wasting people's times. A lot of, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these poor investors that are throwing in millions and millions of dollars to hear some like, you know, 20 year old talking about, Oh, I could do this, make you rich, rich, rich. You know, they're all going to go belly up in a couple of years. Um, the same thing. It it happened in Colorado. It happened in Washington. It's going to happen here. Yeah. So if you could make, say, one change to the legislation that, in your mind at least, would hopefully ensure that the canicine kind of continues in a healthy direction, what sort of change would you want to make? Or do you feel that no change needs to be made? Uh, they just need to lower the taxes. It's just too much. There, there's nothing left. There's nothing left. You're, you're going to be working your ass off just trying to break even. Uh, you know, each each city has its own tax, and then you got the state tax, and, and it's it's just it's just ridiculous for for a little grow. I mean, you know, for a yearly license, some uh, some of these cities, you know, want anywhere from forty to a hundred thousand dollars every year, and then and then you got you know employees you got to pay for electricity you got to pay for rent uh warehouse space that would normally go for 80 cents to a dollar per square foot is now anywhere from three to four dollars per square foot uh there's just there's just nothing left over you know yeah so i guess as a more international based question and just one that obviously bit relevant to home here in australia do you think countries should give up their right to be able to have a personal grow if it means that they can get access to legal cannabis, but it's being done through, say, a big corporation? I mean, if that's all you got, then yeah. But, I mean, if there's any other options, like, uh, you know, I mean, for the for the everyday, or I guess just, you know, it's not, the Prop 64 is not all that horrible. You, you know, everybody can grow a few plants. So, that, I mean, that's cool, you know. You're not getting thrown in jail anymore for... Well, I, I guess now you would be able to, or they're going to start throwing people in jail. I think anything over six plants again is a felony out here, which is ridiculous. But uh, you know, if that's all you got, then yeah, you know, there's there's uh, nothing wrong with it. It's better than 
you know, as a kid growing up in the Bay, I mean, I had a, I had a friend that got some guy unloaded the clip in him for a quarter pound of weed, you know, it was uh 1200 bucks back then in the early nineties and, and they killed him for it. So, you know, get, getting rid of that element. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about the uh, legalization, get rid of that whole criminal um, gangster, whatever. But you know, the way they're, they're going around with uh, these crazy taxes, the crazy regulations, um, you know, they, you should be able to use whatever they're using uh, on our food on, on cannabis, which you can't. You, you can't even use that uh, uh, safer soap BT for, you know, the caterpillars anymore. Yeah, that's that's a bummer, isn't it? Because it's a good product. Yeah, it's a great product. Now, you know, I'm stuck out there with tweezers picking off caterpillars all day long. It's <laughs> uh, It's not fun. <laughs> so, I guess on the flip side question... What are you excited for in regards to the canicine? You know, is there any kind of interesting develops that have really caught your eye and you're a bit optimistic about? No, no, nothing. I'm uh, I'm looking for a new place to move to, uh, someplace a little bit more lenient, not as expensive. Uh, you know, if if uh, some corporate dude wants to hire me, I'd probably take a job at this point. Yeah, bummer. Yeah, yeah, it's uh. I mean, we, we had a good ride for a good solid 20 years. It, it was uh, it was pretty damn good. Like, I mean, I had I had, uh, I had uh, some weed taken from me by the sheriffs before, and then they sent me a letter, and they're like, come pick it up. And they, and they kept it for about a good six months. And then uh, when I picked it up out of the sheriff's office, they, when I was there, they were like, inspect it. I was like, what? They're like, you know, take a look, make sure it's still good. And they, they kept it better than I could have. They kept it in a nice, like, you know, consistent, like, 60-degree room, all, all climate-controlled. And I, mean, <laughs> I was pretty <laughs> shocked how well they kept it. <laughs> That's pretty neat. Um, cool. All right. So, on to the tail end questions. These are just our little quick-fire questions. So, first one, old-school strain you wish you still had? Uh roadkill skunk bud roadkill skunk and, and i know i know i sound like the old timers now with the acapulco gold oh it's the best stuff you know but that that old roadkill is, is my childhood weed and uh you know I, I i hear what all the old school growers are saying about it and, and you know why it's not around anymore but it's uh i, I miss that flavor I miss that flavor. I miss that. I miss having that, you know, one bud in my pocket and it's going to stink up the whole grocery store or wherever I am, you know? Yeah. It's uh, definitely one which makes the uh, the list almost every interview, actually. Right, right. You know, you, the, what the old timers tell me is uh, it sucked. They, they say, you know, it, it was a small little Afghani plant um you know the, the same time uh when the roadkill came out is when uh is when uh you know the the states were allowing a lot of uh, the afghani freedom fighters into the country you know it was what the soviet uh went to afghanistan like 79 to like the late 80s or something like that and uh you know when the cia got involved you know helping the free the afghani freedom fighters a lot of them got, uh, you know, were getting refugee or at refugee out, out here. And with a lot of them, you know, they, they brought the seeds. And uh, so, 
you know, the, there were short little indicas. And even when I was getting the, the skunk back in, in like my high school days, you could, you knowing what I know now, it was definitely indicas because of how fat the uh, little sugar leaves were that were cocooned the buds. And um, so, you know, the old timers tell me that, uh, that, the, the old roadkill skunk sucked. And I'm like, what? What do you mean it sucked? That stuff was great. But, you know, I, that's, that's when I first started kind of smoking herb. It was, uh, uh, you know, pretty, pretty much anything back then would have gotten me high, you know. But uh, they, they say, you know, it was, it, was, it was a short little plant. It was a pain in the ass to trim. And it didn't get him high. After, you know, they, they smoked it a while and, and then like, you know, all the, all the fruits and a lot of the Dutch stuff came through that grew big, was, you know, a lot more stronger and, and uh, easy to trim, you know. So that that, uh, that old roadkill just went extinct from, uh, from you know, uh, just people not desiring the, uh, the, the, the traits from it, or the old, at least the old school growers that were growing it. Yeah, okay. So, what, in your opinion, is your favorite strain of all time? OG Kush. Can't get enough of it. That SFE, it's uh, tried and true. It works every time, even to to this day, you know. So, on the opposite end of the spectrum, what is the strain that's least jive with you? Uh... Man, you know, I I really like the flavors of a lot of the uh, the hazes and stuff like that, but there's the heavy sativas get me. Oh, you know what? There's a couple of other strains I like to throw in there, the old school ones that I miss. Um, yeah. In, in the Tahoe area, uh, we used to get this one called the Afghani Queen, that was really amazing, and from the same guy, we would get one called the Club. Uh, and both of them were, were just just um, head twisting, and then in the early '90s there was one called the Asthma in the Santa Cruz Mountains that I used to get, um, and I missed that one. What else was there? Uh, there was a Romulan. Uh, not the we had two Romulans floating around. We had one that was a short little indica, piney, real piney tasting to it. And then we had another one that was more sativa that had this like a uh, grapey, um, like a creamy grape taste to it. That was, that was really, really good. Miss that one. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> starting to think about it. I could probably name off uh, a few dozen strains uh, that I wish were still around, but <laughs> so the, the, yeah. What I was going to say is to jump back to the question, do we, do we get a worse strain? A worse strain? Uh, I can't really think of anything. Um, I love it all, bud. <laughs> it's all. I love it all. I love how they grow. Uh, I love the flavors. Um, what would be one that I didn't really like? I can't think of a single one. That's a good problem to have. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> not too bad. <laughs> so. If you could go back to one place in history and in time to collect some land race seeds, where would you go? Uh, you know, I'm a, I love my indicas, so so probably uh, the, the the Kush mountain ranges would have to be it. That's a good answer. Yeah, um, you know, Afghanistan, Pakistan, um, 
you know, nowadays it's, uh, I don't know where you'd be able to find any true land races. Almost every uh, country has been watered down with either Dutch or, you know, American genetics by now. But yeah, I would, I would probably say, you know, uh, late 70s, about the late 70s in the Afghani region or somewhere out over there where, where things weren't, uh, didn't get all Dutchified yet and, and uh, remain true that, you know, things that they've probably been breeding for thousands of years. Yeah, that pure, pure. So, lucky last question. What is your biggest hope for the cannabis scene in general? Oh, go back how it was. <laughs> you know, um, no, th- things are good. Things are good. Uh, you know, as long as people aren't going, getting thrown in jail for, for little amounts of weed and, and uh, you're able to, you know, grow a few plants in your backyard, it's, it's, it's not terrible at all. That's it. The sun keeps shining. So, at the end of it all, do you have any shout-outs or comments you'd like to make? Um, no, man. I, I appreciate you having me. I guess uh, give a shout-out to all those activi- activists that got us to this point and, uh, you know, to put in some jail time so we can have our freedom. And, and uh, I guess, I guess uh, everybody that's helped me along the way, um, CSI, Fletcher, uh, with Archive, they've both been a huge help. We've, we've always, uh, you know, if I, if I lost strains, I can always count on them and, uh, you know, vice versa, you know, when they need something, I always got their backs too. And, and, uh, yeah, that's about it, I guess. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure I'm pretty, I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting a ton of folks, but, uh, yeah, you know, just everybody that's ever helped me along this journey. Um, Super appreciative. You know, can't thank everybody enough. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Shahbud, and uh, for dropping all the history and for setting the record straight on a few things. Right on, man. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. So there we have it. A big thank you to my buddy Shahbud for taking the time to talk with us again. And for all you guys for hanging out till the end. A big thank you to the Patreon supporters. You guys, I love you. I'll see you guys soon. But first, thank you to our sponsors. Seeds here now, 420 Australia Organic Gardening Solutions. You guys and me, you know, together, forever. I like that idea. See y'all next time. See you.